0: welcome to the Eastview Baptist Church teaching podcast. We're in a six-week study called Thrill of Hope where we explore the foretelling of the coming of Jesus and the Christmas story as well as an introduction to the Gospel of Mark study. We hope you'll enjoy and like, share, and subscribe to make this resource more readily available to those you love. All right, guys, so if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I pray that you would have your Bible with you this morning. uh, We are going to be playing a little bit of all over the Bible. Right. Uh, And if you have gotten one of the sheets, you'll you'll see what we're talking about. We're going to spend the bulk of our time uh, in Genesis chapter three and Isaiah chapter seven. But we have to get there. Right. We have to get to that point in time. And so to begin, uh, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 4. So again, Matthew uh, chapter 4. And we're going to pick up at verse 1. When you have Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, if you will stand with us together as we read the Word of the Lord. And then Jesus was led... "...up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city... And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, Angels came and were ministering to Him. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful to be in Your house, to study Your Word with our family this morning, God. We're just so thankful, Lord, to be able to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, never taken for granted, Lord, the weight and the gravity of our sins and the sacrifice that it called from Lord Jesus. And we pray this morning, God, that we just be convicted by hope that we be convicted by the Holy Spirit to see that there is a way out of sin, God. And I just pray that this morning that we would be a people who are called to Your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The next six weeks, guys, I'm not going to lie to you, are going to be very busy. We have a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. The general idea is to look at the thrill of hope. We're going to continue to say this until we believe it. But there is a thrill or an excitement that comes from hope. And the hope that we're speaking of comes through one, one alone. And that is Christ Jesus and the sacrifice that He gave His life for us. And so we're going to look at the prophecies, eight in particular from the Old Testament and how they correlate to the New Testament. Why? Because you don't have a New Testament without an Old Testament, right? And you don't have an Old Testament without the forecoming and the foretelling of what will transpire in the New Testament. They are two halves of one whole. You cannot love one and despise the other. You cannot love one and forget the other. They are reliant upon one another to be the complete edifying word of God. And so as we continue to work through this, we're going to see that, as we said, the idea and the thrill of hope is reliant upon the sacrifice of Jesus. Though in the beginning, it wasn't always so clear for the Jewish people Of what that would look like. And on Wednesday nights we've covered. I know you may have wondered this. What happened to the saints of old? In other words what happened to the people from the Old Testament? Jesus hadn't come yet. Are they in heaven? The answer. Adamantly. Vehemently. Yes. Those who believed and held on to a hope of a coming Messiah. Those that held on to the hope of a coming Emmanuel. A God with us. And so this idea of hope beckons all the way. And it echoes all the way from Genesis. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that there were six days of creation. Five of which... Let me just make this idea for you very clear. Five days are good. And on the sixth day, God makes the things that we need in order to have sustenance and survive that is, land animals that we would eat, that would provide us food. And then He makes us. And on that sixth day, would you know it, He declared it very good. And this idea of very good echoes and reverberates the idea of a completion. And so the beautiful thing about God is that He didn't just make us for works. He also made us for rest. And when we rest, this is a time to remember Him. There's a seventh day. Notice we talked about six days, right? And there's a seventh day that was created and it echoes of rest. The rest that we know is called the Sabbath. We tend to forget about the Sabbath, right? We get very particular and peculiar on other laws and ideas, And yet we forget a pivotal one that was included among the ten most high, the Sabbath. And if it was important for God on the seventh day to rest, if it was important for God on the seventh day to reflect, you see where this idea of us asserting ourselves as God in our own lives has made it into all facets of our lives we've lost the importance, we've lost the significance of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, believe it or not, was created for us. And we're going to pick up here in Genesis chapter 3. We don't know, there's no definite answer, the amount of time between that sixth day of creation and the events that we see unfold here in Genesis chapter 3, but the one thing that we are certain of is that in the matter of one day, in the matter of one decision, we attempted to unwrite all that God wrote. And from that moment forward, we've attempted to give authority, we've attempted to give authorship to one who did not have that authority, that did not have that authorship, and that is the Satan. And so we see very clearly in Genesis chapter 3, picking up at verse 8: And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man, or Adam, and his wife, or Eve, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They made a bad decision and now they hid in the place that God said they could be. Except now they have a a sudden ability, they think, to see all that God has created for them to see. Except we were created in unity with God. This one thing that we're not allowed to do, this one fruit that we're not allowed to touch, brings into the world enmity, division, and animosity between us and God. And the bridge that stands in this gap of enmity is one that we know now as the devil or Satan. But the Lord God, verse 9, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Verse 10, and he said, I hear the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. And in an instant, what God knew would happen when we were given the free will and the choice to decide for ourselves, a position of authority that we would decide for ourselves, a division that we put a stumbling block that we put in front of ourselves, God knew in this moment that we had done it. And He said, I heard the sound in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. In other words, I had shame and I hid myself. And He said, this being God, who told you that you were naked? Or who told you to be ashamed. And we know in the, in, the, in, the, in the book of Romans that Paul says, chapter 1, verse 16, that he's not ashamed of the gospel Where I am not ashamed of the good news. And if you don't understand the fullness and the, the, the weight of that verse and see the Genesis account, then you can only see it on the surface level. But when you see that what Paul was talking about Was there is no longer a shame that we had drawn upon ourselves to be divided amongst God? Why? Because we have the good news or the gospel. We're going to look at here in just a second what is called proto evangelium. All right, that sounds really cool, right? Sounds scientific. It literally just means a first good news. Proto first evangelium, good news. The first good news. And we've studied now in depth what the gospel is or what the good news is. And we touched on it a little bit then and we left it as a golden nugget to find later. And right now is that moment, guys. The first gospel account happens in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you to not eat? And the man said, look at all the blame shifting, guys. This is The way that we do this in this world, that we do something bad and we point the blame at other people, no, 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 that's long been ingrained in us. The man said, the woman whom you gave, Check this out. I'm going to blame the woman. Oh, no, that's not enough. I'm going to blame you, God. You made the woman. The woman whom you made gave, the woman who you made and gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit. And I ate it. A complete lack of accountability. We've talked about this in depth now in the past couple of weeks, guys. One of our biggest problems, one of the greatest ways that we allow sin into our lives is because we have a complete lack of accountability. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, he says to Eve, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, look at this, guys, more blame shifting, more lack of accountability The serpent deceived me and I ate. Significant here. The serpent, as we see it, Nechesh, is the deceiver. Literally, the name for the serpent means the deceiver. The name in the New Testament Greek that we know as the devil or Diablos, guess what it means? The deceiver the accuser, the false one. We had a perfect unity in heaven with God, or in the garden rather, with God, and a promise of a heaven to come with God. Heaven on earth with God, and we allowed a deceiver to come and interject. But don't just put the blame solely on the deceiver. We could have easily passed it off and said no. God told us don't touch that. But we were so quick to want the one thing we couldn't have. You don't believe me? Tell someone, don't look over there. What is the first thing that about 90% of those heads just did? Looked over there. Why? Because we want the things that we know we're not supposed to have. What is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. The deceiver deceived me. Well, isn't that peculiar? Because it is implied by his name that he would deceive you. He deceived me and I ate. And when you see this word here, I ate, when you see this phrase, think way more than just taking a bite of a fruit, guys. When you see this, this, this preposition here, I ate, this action verb of eating the fruit. I allowed sin into my life. And every single one of us, from the age of accountability, or in other words, the age in which we know that right is right and wrong is wrong, we eat. In other words, we allow sin into our lives. Verse 14, and then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. Remember the other thing that he made on the sixth day with us? And the beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. What I need you to understand really quick, let's think about this in, in, in general, just common sense. Anybody ever ate dirt? If you're saying no, you're a liar because we were all kids one time and we ate mud pies. And here's the beautiful thing. How much nutrition did you get from the mud pie? A big whopping zero. You got that right. In other words, it will never be able to provide you sustenance. The thing that God made, the ground, the earth to be sustenance and produce sustenance, and us to lord over or us to rule over from that thing, you will now, Satan, never become sustenant. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And the, here it is, guys Proto Evangelium, the first gospel. And did you know, it happens in Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity, and I'm just going to put this out here. Enmity is not a common word in our language. Would we agree? Yes, pastor. Thank y'all for your participation. Enmity. Let me define this for us. The state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile towards someone or something. When we see this word enmity, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And I know what you're thinking, guys. <laughs> Just the woman. No, 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 no. We're seeds of the woman. It's you too. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Uh, you see, you didn't hold on long enough. And between your offspring or your seed. And her offspring or her seed. And he shall bruise your head or crush your head. And you shall bruise or crush his heel or his imprint. And I know what you're thinking. Because I thought the same thing. <laughs> Where's the good news in that Right. It's easy to read that and go, man, I don't see any good news here. But if you really dig in and you really see it and you really look for it, if you actively look for Jesus, there is great news to be found here. You see, he or Jesus shall crush your head. And again, I know what you're thinking what? How? Follow along for one second. In the book of Ephesians, as we studied on Wednesday nights here, the book of Ephesians and the Apostle Paul, the same guy who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. For it is the message of Jesus Christ who brings salvation. First to the Jew." but also to the Gentile. Now check this out. The same Paul who said, I rebuke the decision we made in Genesis, says in the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, verse 22 and verse 23, and he put all things under his feet. In other words, God... Put all things under the feet of Jesus to be the kephalia. In other words, Christ Jesus is the head. To be the seed is the bottom or the root. That Jesus is the head over the root. And we know from proto-evangelium that the one who was to come will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, check this out, y'all. Jesus, in his sacrifice, asserts himself rightfully so by the appointment of God as the head over us, as the head over the seed. We have made a false gospel and a false narrative that says we can listen to the deceiver. We can be our own gods, little g-gods, and that we can rule the world. And Jesus came and said, don't for a second buy the deceit and the lies of the deceiver. And Jesus asserts himself as the head. Ephesians one twenty two, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And what is the church, guys? Check this beautiful thing out, which is his body. The fullness of him who feels all and all. And so when you start thinking of the church body, guys, we got to do better. Whatever we're doing, we got to take it to the oomph. Why? Because what we do as the church is a direct representation of what we think of Christ. What we do as the church speaks of who we are as believers. When we're faithful stewards of what He's given us, we state very clearly that I believe Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as kafale, as head over all things. But when we're a church who is inactive... When we're a church who sits on our hands and waits on the next thing, then we're passive. And we're not living up to the hope and the fulfillment that is available in Jesus Christ. Really quickly, just to further this and to to prove our hypothesis that Jesus is the great hope. Revelation chapter 12 Picks up in verse 9, includes verse 10. It says this, And the great dragon... Alright, now here's a really cool thing, guys. Serpent, Hebrew, Nachash, Dragon, Dracon, Greek, mean the same thing. The serpent and the dragon are one and the same. So in other words, this great deceiver who we saw in Genesis is still there in the end, still attempting to make false authority of himself, false representation and false promises of himself. Why? Because he is the deceiver, guys. It is in him. It is who he is. He is not good. He doesn't want your your best. He doesn't want to benefit you. He wants you to fail. And when you fail and he keeps you from God, then he is successful. But when you call his bluff and say you don't have the authority, you are not God. God. And you call him on his his deception, his lies, then he has no power, no authority on this earth. But I get it, guys. It's a lot easier to roll with the guy who's all about fun. It's a whole lot easier to go with the guy who says, man, you just be who you want to be, trust your heart, follow yourself. Those are false doctrines, guys. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ who is head of all, over all, in all, through all time. Follow Him for salvation. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent. I told y'all, one in the same. He is called the devil... Diablos, and Satan, Satanus, the deceiver of the whole world. He's been a bad guy. He's still a bad guy. He's always going to be a bad guy. He was thrown down to the earth, and His angels, His fallen angels, who are the demons who are the false narratives that we allow into our society, the reclaiming of the the rainbow which was given to us by God as a promise and a commitment that we were His people and we've given it to the world. And He was thrown down to earth and His angels, the demons of this world, the deceptors of this world, We're thrown down with Him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of His kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Jesus is coming, y'all. We're living right now in the already but not yet. We're living right now We could be the last generation before Jesus returns or we could be hundreds of years away. But one thing is for certain, every day we're a day closer than we were the day before. And whether you believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior now or you bend knee to Him determines where you spend eternity. It is of the utmost importance you give your life to Christ Jesus now. Amen. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. and He's come for the accuser and for his brothers who has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God spilling false narratives, false promises, is who He's always been, is who He'll always continue to be. But don't fret, guys. Now that you've seen the beginning and the end, let's start tracing the coming of hope. In the book of Isaiah, At chapter 7, picking up at verse 10, there's a guy named Ahaz. And now, what I need you to understand is back in 2 Kings, chapter 16, verse 1 through 9, we see the reign of Ahaz. And so Ahaz took money from the temple and gave it to a false god who was Assyria. In other words, Ahaz trusted man over God. He took what was rightfully God's, the money, the silver of the temple, and gave it to a false god, a deceiver, and turned over righteousness to one who was unrighteous, who was unjust. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. This is going to sound very familiar to the account we saw with Jesus and the Satan in Matthew chapter 4. Ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be as deep as Sheol, There's hell, Gehannes, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, This is how he he answers the Lord. Does he answer and say, Lord, let me bow down to you because you are God and I do what you call me to do. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. He twists Scripture. He attempts to use Scripture against God. And we laugh and say, how silly. But what I need you to understand, the Satan comes. And what does the Satan attempt to do to Jesus? Twist Scripture against God in the flesh. God and Jesus. He says, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, very important. Hold this, guys. O house of David. Some translations say, O son of David. This word you see here. Hear to every Jew when they see this word here, instantly they're reminded of the prayer that they pray every morning and every night. And it's called the Shema. And the Shema says it's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 Hear God, O Lord of Israel. That's the beginning, the prompt. And then it shows them that the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, with all our strength. And so he says, Shmah then, O house of David. God said, remember who I am. That word here is very significant. Is it too little for you to weary man that you weary my God also? Verse 14, guys, another evangelium, another Old Testament good news. And he said, therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign. In other words, God said, I know what you did with the treasury money. I know what you did with the temple money. And I'm going to give you a sign, you wicked man. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. All right, guys, I know what we're thinking because we're all adults in this room. That's not possible. God doesn't need your idea of possible. When He makes a promise, He delivers. The virgin shall conceive. Look, promise one. And he, she will bear a son. Promise to. He shall call His name Emmanuel. God with us. In the garden, we allow a false God, a deceiver, to be with us. Now God says, look, I'm going to give you the final answer. It's going to come What I need you to understand, this that you're reading here happens about 735 B.C. So anywhere between 736 and 740 years before Jesus. They had to wait on the promise, guys. They had to test the faith. They had to see who would actually believe for the one that is to come And again, it brings us back. What happened to the Old Testament? What happened to the people who believed in the promise? If they held on to the promise of the Messiah who was to come, you will see them one day in heaven. But if they did not hold on to the promise, if they grew weary in belief, if they turned away from the faith, if they did not believe God for the impossible, then they're already in Sheol. where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth See what happened in the in the garden Let me give you a flow chart really quick It looks something like this We were made in unity we were given a choice We chose division and strife we chose the deceiver Again, God who is so loving would give us once again a choice. Believe for the one to come or believe in the one who came and died your death on the cross. Except how you land on that choice, how you decide on that decision determines your eternal place. I would say of rest, but there's no rest in hell, guys. It's not a sauna. It's not a spa day that the temperature got turned up a little too hot. It is literal fires and pits of flame. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. So it reminds us, guys, back in Genesis chapter 1, if you just read it by itself, you don't catch the big picture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in His own image. Remember I told you guys, we live in the already, but not yet. Yet. God creates Jesus, or God creates for us, rather, in Jesus' image. What you got to understand, we're made in Jesus' image, and Jesus at that moment has not come to earth in the flesh. Is that, is, am I losing anybody? I should be losing you, right? God makes us in the image of Jesus. Jesus hasn't come in the flesh yet, but somehow we're made in His image. It's almost like when given free will, God knew the decision that we would make. And this is how much God loves us. That while He gives us a choice, He gives us an escape from our choice. He gives us a way out of our choice. But you got to understand, the second choice, the one that we have now, to believe in Jesus as both Lord and Savior is eternal it is the thrill of hope so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female let me read that again for you guys really quick male and female he created them they're assigned a gender by God that's the gender gender just so I'm clear, okay, male and female, he created them. All right, now that we're crystal again, <laughs> let me show you though how much that God loved us. Y'all familiar with John three sixteen? God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son. All right, here's here's even more impressive. We keep coming back to this guy Paul. Look at his own version of John 3, 16, 17, and eighteen. But God shows his love for us. While we were yet or while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. In other words, just because you're living in sin right now does not mean that is your eternal resting place. Repent the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Spoiler alert. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. It's here, y'all. The already and not yet. That brings us all the way here. Let me end us this way. We have what is known as the great commandment. And what did Jesus do? He introduced Himself in his fulfillment to the Shema, what did he do? He took uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and he added Leviticus 19, 18. Not that he altered. Let, let, me, let me make that clear to you. Not that he changed. He made compound. In other words, he raised the expectation. Mark 12, 28 through 33. Let me read this for you as they're coming up. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that He had answered them well, asked Him. Jesus answered them. Just answers all their questions. It's time to walk away. Admit Jesus is Jesus. No, no. Now that He's answered them well, they add, which commandment is the most important of all? They want to catch Jesus blaspheming. What does Jesus do? Announces himself as the Son of God. And Jesus answered, The most important is this. Hear, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and yes, with all your strength. Again, Not changing Scripture, compounding, strengthening the promise of God. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hey guys, we can get really good on the surface at the first one, loving the Lord our God. How you doing on Jesus' second, but equally important command here? Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Both of them. And the scribe said to him, Well, I didn't catch you this time. You were right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all who burnt offerings and made sacrifices. Guys, today is your day. What if you leave this place today and God forbid you have an accident and you leave this life where do you spend eternity? Today is your day, family. What if the Lord Jesus comes back as we're leaving this place? Where do you spend all of eternity? Being a good person is not yet, it, guys. It's not enough. Love the Lord your God all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, we just pray that this morning we would allow a spirit of conviction to show our hearts, God. To show our, to show our minds that we need You. That we surrender ourselves to You. That You are our God. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as both their Lord and their Savior, that today be the day that they give their life to you. We pray, Lord, that you'll use us, you'll guide us, and you'll direct us to yourself this morning, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.